Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by New York Newsday's Bob Glauber, a longtime NFL reporter who also has written a few books, including his latest with Keyshawn Johnson called The Forgotten First. Bob will discuss the book because it contains some nuggets on Washington, but we'll also get into the NFC East, the gap between Dallas and the other teams in the division, John Madden and the NFC East glory days. And I'll also give Bob's thoughts on the Washington franchise and some insight on the New York Giants. You can follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Glauber. That's Bob, G-L-A-U-B-E-R. And you can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. There's always something going on here. And when it happens, it'll be on ESPN.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at John Kime ESPN. Before I play my conversation with Bob, I'm going to give you a little prediction for Sunday. And to be honest, I don't need to go into much detail as as to why I'm going to pick Washington. The Giants have been a horrible offensive team, averaging only 10.3 points in the past six games. They'll be starting Jake Fromm at quarterback. After a season long of facing very good quarterbacks to some great ones, Washington gets a big break in the finale. That's enough reason for me. But does it matter if they win Sunday? Yes and no. Obviously, they get a better draft pick, but do you really want to end the year on a five-game losing streak? The players and coaches don't. However, by January 13th, whether you win four, whether you win one out of the last five or all that lose all the last five, does it really matter? They'll still be out of the playoffs regardless. But for me, it's more about what it says about the roster and the players on it. Despite the injuries and illnesses, they have remained competitive every game except for one. Heck, they should have beaten the Eagles last week, and despite the negatives, they had a chance to beat them in Philly despite being heavily outgained and starting Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. To be honest, I think the Eagles should have felt should have played a lot better in both those games. They made it a one-score game against Dallas the first time around. Obviously, not the second time. Wasn't so good. But if you want to make sure you have a lot of the right guys on your roster, you can measure them in some part by games like Sunday. Do they take the right approach during the week? Does it matter to them if they finish strong? It will be a good chance for a lot of players to show what they can do, if nothing else. Now, I still, my worry last week was what would they have left? And I'd still say the same for Sunday. But I just think that there is a difference in what the Giants and Washington are dealing with. I think Washington is just playing better. So there you go. One other note, Washington made a good decision to keep left tackle Charles Leno around getting him on a three-year deal worth up to $37.5 million on Wednesday night. Leno's done a really nice job steadying the left side, has played in every game. Is he a pro bowler? No. Is he a great tackle? No. But he's been a good tackle. And what this does is take one potential hole off the table. They're going to almost assuredly lose Brandon Sheriff. You don't want to have to replace two of your linemen, um, especially, and, and we'll see what they do with Eric Flowers. 
if they rework the contract, if they keep him at that number, but you don't want to create more holes. Keeping Leno is a good decision. And again, his play is he's not, he's not Trent Williams, but he's been very steady and that's what they needed there. And I also think he's really good in the locker room for the, for the, young, for the rest of the linemen. So I think it was a good move. Now they need to lock up two other pending free agents, JD McKissick and Bobby McCain. I know they'd lead to, I know they'd like to keep both. I know they're working on it. whether they get it, get it done or not. We'll see. McCain is not at the same level necessarily as McKissick, but he was steady in the second half of the season. When the defense started playing better, I felt like McCain was playing really well as well. It does a nice job disguising coverages. I felt like communication was pretty good. Again, not a Pro Bowl player, but I think for what they need, he was good in the second half of the year. I think the other part of that factor is Rivera has really never had these dominant, dominant safeties. He likes to invest more in the front seven. And where I think they're going to invest much more heavily will be at middle linebacker, or at least the desire to get a higher, a much higher level play there is strong with a true vet middle linebacker. So they're going to invest there rather than at safety. That's why if you can lock up McCain, if you can get him for a reasonable amount, then, then I could see them. I definitely know that they would like to get that done. But the desire to keep McKissick is a no-brainer. He's a terrific back, and Washington truly has missed him ever since he got hurt. He's a popular player in the locker room, very good third-down back, quickness. I like watching him on, the, on his runs. He's a different style runner than Antonio Gibson, obviously, very quick to the hole, um, really good vision. And like Jared Patterson, I feel like he cuts as he moves forward. That is a big key. But I, like I said, they're working on that one as well. Stay tuned. With that, I'm done. So after this break, I'll be back with Bob Glauber from New York Newsday. One game stands out from him from his days covering the NFCs, the Giants and Redskins at RFK Stadium. And how big does he think the gap is between Dallas and everybody else in the NFC East? And stay tuned for a John Madden impression. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Bob Glauber. Well, Bob, I always enjoy talking to you and a longtime fan and follower of your work. And, you know, you, you've covered the NFC East for such a long time. So I want to start with the NFC East and I want to get into your book, The Forgotten First, in a few minutes. But let's start with the NFC East and just... I guess, first of all, where, how big a gap is there between Dallas, do you think, and everybody else in this division? I think there's a pretty significant gap um, between Dallas and everybody else, except Philadelphia seems to be closing that quite nicely. I mean, I think they're – Nick Sirianni's done a really good job after yeah. a kind of an uncertain – certainly an uncertain um, 
you know, opening press conference when he was yeah, mocked yeah, for yeah, yeah. He even mocks himself, but he's grown from that. And then that team has grown. And, you know, he had a, this, this clunky quote about, you know, planning and fertilizing roots and, stuff. <laughs> and you know, he got, he got, he got stuff for that, but you know, he's right. Ever since that time that that team has really blossomed. So I would say it's still Dallas by a, a good bit, but I think Philadelphia is coming in there and Washington and giants, um, you know, Back where they are. Giants trailing very far behind. They're they're maybe the worst team in football right now. What's the biggest difference? And I this might be an obvious thing, but with Dallas and everybody else, where do you think the biggest difference is? Because they they've had some struggles, and it's funny because every time I say, "Oh, watch them take off," they have yeah. a stumble, and then if then you say, "Oh," and then they take off. So where do you think the biggest difference is between them and everybody else? Yeah, I, you know, it's a good point, John, and I feel the same way. They're, Dallas is, they're unreliable, mm-hmm. right? Because just when you are ready to anoint this team as elite in this NFL, putting them on a level with the Packers and the Bucks, they do have a stumble like last week. They couldn't, couldn't put it away against Arizona. So it's, it's a little incomplete, but I think defensively, uh, the addition of Dan Quinn was as big yeah. a coaching change as there, there is, right? I mean, he has really resurrected that defense, which was just terrible. And uh, that run all over the place, getting getting killed in the running game. It was bad. So that's a big thing. And the defensive talent has kind of always been there at the addition of Micah Parsons is is great. And Diggs is, is becoming a lead cornerback. Um, Dak Prescott coming back. I mean, you cannot minimize the impact that that has had year over year because when he's out last year, they they fell apart. So he is a big time uh, part of their uh, resurrection this year. But he's also kind of a symbol of, you know, you, you, you want to believe that he is kind of getting into that upper echelon realm. And then, you know, he just right. he just doesn't put games away enough sometimes. And that's that's where that's a, that's been kind of my surprise this year, because I've always liked him. But I, that's where like the offense hasn't been quite what I thought it would be, whereas the defense is a lot better. And, and Quinn has made a tremendous impact. And I also wonder, like, how demand how much in demand he'll be for a head coaching job this offseason because of it. Well, I think he will be in some demand. Um, you know, it's a weird dynamic in the NFL now. There, there have just been so it's been so convulsive as far as coaching changes, the number of coaching changes. You know, back when we started, when I started. You know, there weren't but three or four changes a year, right. but now sometimes you get as many as eight. Yeah. So, you know, Quinn, I think, is is going to be an attractive candidate. He's been a head coach. He's been to the Super Bowl. He's also seen a team in decline, you know, with Atlanta. Right. And he had a chance. So I think he will be in some demand. You know, there is that attractiveness of a guy who has done it. And with so much turnover, you get so many first-time head coaches adapting on the job it's rough and it's a rough expectation so i think he will be an attractive candidate i don't think he's going to be the dominant candidate right and i think so and i i would also be this is why with the gap between dallas and others if a guy like that leaves i wonder if that gap shrinks or because they have so much because they have enough playmakers on defense that someone else is going to be able to come in and just kind of keep on keeping on with that group well i think they can theoretically keep on keeping on as you say um but I think Quinn is special. You know, yeah. you just can't replicate a play caller who has such a good feel for the game, such a good relationship with his players. You know, I love that that guy still, he has his, he wears his hat backwards. Yeah. He's still kind of a fun loving 
free-spirited guy, and, and he's kind of getting back to his roots, and, that, and that's good to see. So, and, you know, also with the NFC East, with John Madden recently dying, and his, his death just kind of reminds everybody of how prominent he was with the NFC East in the 80s especially. And these teams that, you know, the Giants, you know, the Redskins at the time, and, and just, you know, what, what do you think he'd wonder or say about the state of this division now? Because it hasn't quite been what it was Certainly not back then. It was awesome. Yeah, the NFC East now. What uh, <laughs> to make of this thing? You know, Dallas always been good. Yeah, good to see Dallas. You know what's happened? What the hell's happened to the Giants? Where where'd they go? Boom, man, boom, down. You know, like, well, what, what, what's going on here? When I was when I was in this uh, division, looking at I, you know, I was the soundtrack <laughs> to that division in the eighties. You know, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> he, you know, he would. I think you'd see the good and the bad of it. You know, the, the, yeah. there were some some down years uh, with with the NFC East, but not many. In the eighty and the eighties was to me the glory days of the NFC East. It was, yeah, yeah. It was Gibbs and Buddy Ryan and Parcells, and they were taking Landry and taking turns knocking each other down, knocking each other out. But it was tremendous football. I'm I'm you know blessed to have started covering in the mid eighties when. It just was, you know, it, that was the top of the top of football. And, and I was blessed, I guess, or cursed to start it in the mid-90s. And it hasn't quite been like that, not here. And that's why, like, you know, yeah. from, from your perspective, I mean, you've covered this stuff for longer than I have. And to see what's happened here, what is that like? Because it's, you know, you see a game last week and the Eagles fans are just overwhelmingly the predominant base in, in a FedEx field. I mean, what's yeah. it been like to watch the, this organization go through what it's been through? Uh, you talking about the giants or Washington, the, Washington. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. We'll get well, to the giants in a second. Cause they have I their mean, own issues because they're kind of similar. Oh. No, it's been rough. I think, you know, they were kind of fighting and look, you know, you lose your quarterback and I, and I know the Fitzpatrick was not, you know, the second coming, but you know, Heineke has been good in spots. And I, I remember after what first or second start, he was off to a great start. And people are saying, Hey, is he the real deal? Is he the real? It's like, you know, guys are, are, you know, come into the league as underdogs for a reason, right? They're, right. they're not, he's not a sure thing. And, and he hasn't been a sure thing. He's been up and down. The defense has been probably the biggest disappointment. Yeah. And I think that has betrayed uh, this team over, over time because you can get away with things at a quarterback. If your defense is kind of keeping you in games right. and it just wasn't happening enough. How about as an organization? Because I'm talking about the fall, too, from being a, a dominant organization to being what it is now, a place that has a hard time attracting fans to its own place. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we got a taste of it in New York when, you know, the Giants are down now. So the Eagles came in and the Cowboys came in and it was it sounded like I was at Lincoln Financial Field one mm. week and AT&T Stadium the next. So that I, I can I can relate to it. I can understand. You know what the Washington franchise name has taken uh, a big hit in, right. in recent years. It's not it's not just this year. It's recent years. And you know when you, when you get fans falling off you know, a gate at the stands after a game and almost people almost getting hurt with Jalen Hurts, kind of felt like symbolic of just all that has gone wrong. That's that, a bad stadium now. It it's an old stadium. They need a new stadium and. It's, it's moments like this when you say, well, you know, can't get here soon enough. Listen, it was a bad stadium about five minutes after it opened. It's yes. been just from the Brown time. It's opened, 
Yeah, and exactly. And it was it was a hard place to get to. And but I yeah. will also remind people this is this was paid for by Cook's money alone. He was not taking public money. And so when the, you do that, you get stadiums like that. And yeah. so it's been I'm I for one cannot wait till they're out of there. And it is just like the, the current group is kind of having to plug holes left and right, and they don't always do a great job of it. And we've seen yeah. that. You know, for years, at least FedEx Field had the Oakland Coliseum to say, well, right. we're not them. That was a dump, and that is a dump. Um, now, the team is in Vegas and the new stadium, so so they're out. But, like, so FedEx Field now stands alone as really the biggest dump in the NFL. It's, it's a dump. It's just not a good stadium. People don't like going to it. Fans don't like going to it. Media yeah. don't like going. I mean, it's just – it's a hard – you know, and plus, you know, for fans here – you're you're having to go and the team hasn't been very good. I think if the team were better then yeah, it's like RFK wasn't a great, was not a great facility, but it was a great atmosphere. Oh my God. John, imagine this man, RFK stadium, Giants against Washington, Parcells Gibbs, Washington scores a touchdown, stadium shakes. Yeah. Sitting in the press box alongside Vito Stellino. Holding on for dear life. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the first time you feel that. Yeah. Listen, I, the, when I first went there it was again mid nineties, and it was still the atmosphere was still really good because they were only a couple years removed from the Super Bowl, and the the fan base had gotten used to success from the from George yeah. Allen through that point, and so the the atmosphere was the atmosphere was really good for a long time after that, and so I felt the shake, and it was like you know you'd see it on TV, and it was cool. And when you feel it, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it's just like in Denver. You had, you felt like you had a train rolling through you when you'd be out there. But here you could feel that shaking. And it was the press box was horrible. And be, be, the press box was just abysmal because you would be sitting tight. If it was winter and you had a coat on, you had no room between you. But it was still the atmosphere there was really yeah, fun. It was great. I was willing to take the take the bullet on the, on the yeah. cold. But just thank God it didn't fall down. yeah but because like you'd go down the the thing and like there's you know paints chipping away there's a plot not paint parts of the building were chipping away it was not a good place but it fit that era that era and it fit that team because they never fancied themselves as a they were a hard-nosed team and so i think it fit what they were great stadium hey john you know what my first game at rfk was Hmm. First game covering at RFK Monday night Heisman game. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Everything. That unbelievable game. It was a tremendous game. And I'm like, holy crow, what 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 did I just see? I'll never forget. What 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 do you remember most about that night? That night, uh probably LT crying, uh, the horror of the moment. Um the intensity of the game, you know, Schrader comes in and there's trick plays and just this back and forth game that was just incredible. Uh, I was totally drained by the time I, I stayed at the Keybridge Marriott, got back about 3 a.m. and said, what the hell did just happen? You know, and little did I know that that would probably be the most enduring memory maybe I've ever had in, in football. Right. That really? first year. Yeah. J- 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 just the image of Theismann being down in that whole situation or. Sure. It was gross. It was, yeah. it was terrible. I mean, and now he had, he had broken his leg prior to that. And that had something to do with how, how bad this was. And, 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 but it was, it was horrifying. You know, you could not 
look at the replay. If you did, you, you know, you'd, you'd almost throw up uh, because it was just that difficult to watch. And then, you know, you see Lawrence Taylor, toughest guy in the NFL crying on the sidelines. You know, that, that, that that's a pretty vivid memory and a pretty vivid image that you, you just don't forget. So that let's we'll come back to the current state of these teams, which is a lot different. So what's going on with the Giants? Because, you know, Joe Judge, it sounds like he's coming back. Right. And Gettleman out. Is that what? what's your yeah. take? Gettleman definitely gone. Probably going to they'll probably be to allow him to retire. If he does not retire, he will be fired. It has been a terrible roster building process. Yeah. One of the worst I've ever seen in the NFL over four years. I mean, really bad this is a bad untalented football team um and they're in cap hell how about that you know if you're gonna <laughs> a bad cap combo. Hell, right so judge listen man i i've i've seen the reports i've heard the reports i am not convinced he is completely safe hmm. a lot may be may be determined on what happens in this game what the atmosphere is like you know, John Mara is going to be the prime mover, prime decision maker here, but Steve Tisch, his co-owner, has an equal say in this, right? Uh, it's been a bad run and a bad atmosphere at MetLife Stadium. I think the, the, the thing I can equate it to the most, and I wasn't even there, was in 1978, before this team got really oh. good, it was atrocious. Mm -hmm. It was, the they call that the dark decade. Uh, the 70s were terrible, late 60s were terrible in, in New York. And there was a game late in the season where a plane flew overhead carrying a banner that said 15 years of lousy football. We've had enough. Uh, fans burned tickets outside the stadium. Um, it was really bad. And, and I, I, I don't think there's really been a time that, that the fan base has been this despondent for this long wow. period of time. So that's why I don't guarantee that Joe Judge will be back. This team is playing like, it is lost. And I know there are quarterback problems, right? But teams, your, your team's pretty competitive with a backup quarterback. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right, no, yeah, absolutely. Your, your team was competitive with a, a guy who came off the street from new England five days before the game. Right. Right. So, you know, there are ways to do it. Um, and that's why I, I think he's coming back, but I, I am not positive. What have you, what's been your take on his couple of years there? Because, you know, I mean, it hasn't gone very yeah. well. Well, John, there was a coach back here way back in the day named Bill Parcells who had a very famous saying, hmm. you are what your yeah. record said. Yeah. Right. Joe Judge is 10 and 22. He was six and 10 last year. They were interesting for a month. Mm -hmm. They kind of, you know, in a terrible division because Dallas was, was obviously injured. Uh, Washington ends up winning it, but, uh, the Giants were in it with a really significant road win in Seattle right. against the Seahawks team that we didn't realize back then was flawed, right? right. But they beat him, and they beat him with a backup quarterback. Right, Colt. Got it, you're right, Colt McCoy. So um, uh, then they go and get rid of Colt. They wanted a, an upgrade over Colt, and they bring in Mike Lennon. They were minus 10 net passing yards last week, and he's injured now. So – I think Joe Judge has done an incomplete job. I don't know if you can completely put everything on him because we talked about the roster. It's right. a bad roster. Um, and, and if he if he does come back, that's the reason. Injuries and the roster, and, and they give him at least one more year with a new general manager. 
do you believe when he says stuff like people are call, players are calling me, telling me they'd rather be here. You buy him that? Maybe, maybe one player called him in the summer and, you know, said, Hey, I miss it. I don't think players call him regularly and say, I wish it was here. You know, they're, he also opened up a can of worms about tampering. You do. You're not allowed to talk yeah. to players on the team. Right? He even brought that up. He said, you know, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. it was. There's tampering. So I don't, I, I mean, I think that was a bit of an exaggeration. He also took a couple shots at this organization too, with the fight. Did. And, yeah. Yeah, didn't, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Which is, which I think people here, it certainly rubbed them the wrong way. I know that. And, um, but it, well, I guess what Ron Rivera has to say about it. I'm curious. He'll, he will be asked on Wednesday about that. Yeah. So yeah, we will find out what he says. And, and, um, but what about Daniel Jones? What's, what has been your take on him and just what is his future there? Uh, he has been good at, in spots, not great. Um, he has made improvements in not turning the ball over as much as he did last year, especially the first half of last year. Uh, he's a good runner who gets hurt running. That's a problem. Right. Um, and I think he is a decent passer with a limited upside. I'm not painting a good picture there, John, am I? I, I think, he's I think it's an accurate one. Yeah. I mean, and, and they are, you know, Dave Gettleman talked um, before he drafted Daniel Jones about um, he's got a thick Boston accent. He's a very nice guy and a personable guy. He's, yeah. You know, I, when I retire uh, on the Cape, I, you know, I just want to be thinking I left the, the team in, in, in a good way with a good quarterback. Well, Daniel Jones was overdrafted at number six. Um, you know, he's not, he's not Haskins. Okay. But you know, when you get the number six overall pick and you invest it in a quarterback, you, you probably should have something better than, than what the giants have seen. And I, it's not Daniel Jones's fault. He, he went to Duke. He, he right. is who he is. Here it's, he, he got drafted where he got drafted. And, you know, Phil Sims, there were a lot of giant fans who didn't know what the hell they were doing with that draft pick. And that worked out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and it's funny because he's a, when I when I'd watch him in college, I always come away thinking, oh, okay, there's some things I like, and there's some things you're gonna, you know, and that's kind of what he's been. Although when he plays when he's played this team, he's he's always looked like a superstar he's for some great. reason. Washington is his salvation. Yeah, you know? it's it's unbelievable. He you know he pulls these games out, and then you think I remember writing uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley had a great game in the same game. It was Jones's rookie year. And I, and I wrote perfect column. Oh, here we are. This is this is the formula, right? and that happened. You know, once. <laughs> well, what about Barkley too? Because there's some questions about him. Yeah. Well, look, he's not had a good year. He's been injured. He missed five games with a, an ankle injury that was supposedly a low ankle injury, but had a timeline of a high ankle injury uh, by the time he re returned. So he is. He had, a, he had one good game this year, and that was last week against Chicago. All right, he, he kind of ran authoritatively. 
that's where he got hurt last year with the knee. So he's not been the same running back since the knee injury. Um, he has got a $7 million cap figure next year uh, in a league that has devalued running backs in a significant way. I don't know what his future holds. I think the team is, this is a pretty loyal team to its players. I don't know if they consider trading him, but you know, everything is going to be on the table now with presumably a new general manager. And I think you have to take that into account. So two more things and I want to get to the book real quick, but on sure. Washington, with changing the name, we, we found out this week, the announcement is going to be February 2nd. Do you have you, I don't know if you've seen the list of names, do any of them jump out to you? What do you think? The one that I keep coming back to is keeping Washington football team. Okay. I think there is, I think there is a coolness to it. Um, there it's distinctive and listen, I'm, I'm not making that decision. Um, I, so I, I, I don't have a, a favorite particularly. Yeah. I think it's hard to have one hard. It's hard. It's, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And you know, that they, they, they did the right thing by removing the name you had to. And, um, but, but what do you do moving forward? Uh, there's merchandising issues about it. Um, so I, but I think, you know, look at soccer. It's like, you know, Manchester football team, you know, Manchester United, uh, it's, it's named after the, the, the areas. And I, I think there is a coolness to Washington football team. There is, I think from their end, that will be, they can't sell the merchandise off that, or they can't create the logo they would want and would consider it boring. So I don't think it's going to be that. I would say I feel pretty safe in saying that, but I know a segment of the fan base that would agree because you get used to it. And, right. you know, so, and I don't know like anything, and I'll say this too. I, I grew up in Cleveland. So I'm a, in it, I was an Indians fan in it, you know? And so when they change that, the reaction is going to be what it is, no matter what you pick, you know, just about, and now I think the logo is going to be a big part of that. And just, they've got to get the logo right in addition to the name, because I think people right. will latch onto the logos. What, what seems to, what seems to be the favored name? At this point? Well, the name, the favorite among the fans for a while, I'd say a leading favorite. I don't, I don't know. Nothing has been unanimous, but a lot of people like Red Wolves, but the Wolves is hard to trademark. So right. there would be trademark issues. So they're not going there. And then the one that seems to be um, that people think it's going to be is commanders. Now, I don't know if it will be or not. Somebody brought up the admirals. I kind of like the admirals. It's got a military tie in and I, it's, it's got a, I like that as a, it kind of rings nicely, but I don't know. So there's, and then, then there's a segment of the fan base that would like it red hogs because of the hogs, which ties yeah. back to their legacy. So I will say this about whatever it is, I'll be glad on February 3rd because it'll be over. And I, can, I don't have to write. I don't have to figure out. And you can appreciate this as a writer. It was always Washington, the second reference, Redskins, and then third, they. Now it's yeah. Washington, it. Because it's to, yeah. write, to write the football team did this. It just sounds too generic. So I've, I've like, how do you get around that as a writer? And I so I've used WFT. I think they've kept that in. So, you know, because it's just been awkward as a writer to write it that way. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. Think about it. if you were in Europe, they use the plural for the singular. It's right. weird. You know, WFT are in a good position. Yeah. WFT are not going to get a good draft. It's weird. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, but it's a right. It's a right. So then yeah. last thing on Washington, Ron, Ron, yeah. no, it's Ron Rivera, do you, what are your thoughts on him as a coach and his ability to get this fr franchise going the right direction? And do you think, despite what, you know, what it looks like, where do you think they are going? Just, I, I want your 30,000 foot view 
Um, yeah. No, I, I think Ron Rivera is a worthy coach. I think he's an excellent leader. Um, he brings a lot to the table in terms of bringing a team together, keeping a team together. Um, the, the hard part for him is that, A, the defense underachieved badly. Um, and, you know, he is a defensive-oriented coach. And, B, his hands have been tied with, with you know, uncertainty at quarterback. Right, right. And the, those are the, you know, you need a quarterback in this league. And um, it, it's rough for him. But, I look, he, he won the division last year. I know it's a terrible division, but he did it. Um, so I, I don't think he'll be replaced. I don't think no. he should be replaced. And I think he's a worthy coach going forward. I hope he gets the kind of roster stability and improvement that would help him kind of elevate to where he was in, in you know, when that Carolina team w- went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, quarterback's the big key, and that'll be the big search this offseason. Now, yeah. your, your book, The Forgotten First with Keyshawn Johnson, and two, two of the players that were in the title, Bill Willis, Marion Motley. Close to me because I grew up, again, I grew up in Cleveland. And when you grow up, like Marion Motley to me was a guy who was probably not, has not gotten the recognition he probably deserves in the history of football for how great he was. And Bill Willis was an awesome defense, a nose tackle. But I'm just curious from that book, because you have some Washington connections in there too with George Preston Marshall, Jason Wright, if you can just share some of that. Sure. Yeah, first, of all, first of all, tell, just get, tell people what the book is about, yeah. too. Sorry. It, it, it's called The Forgotten First, and it's the story of, here, I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color, color barrier. And, you know, I partnered with Keyshawn, who I've known for 25 years, uh, to tell the story about really how football was integrated. Everyone right. knows Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball, right? You say, hey, who's the Jackie Robinson of pro football? Who was the first black player in the modern NFL? Ask anyone, and you will get silence. I had silence. I didn't know. Keyshawn didn't know. Well, if we don't know, most people don't know. Right. And the NFL did not have a Jackie Robinson. It had four. And these men played in Los Angeles, strode in Washington, and in Cleveland, uh, Willis and Motley. And Cleveland, of course, was with the All-American Football Conference. Right. All Brown founded the team. But but Paul Brown is an historical figure for the advancement of opportunity for African-American players. He signed Bill Willis and Marion Motley willingly to play for the Cleveland Browns, and they turn into Hall of Fame players. So it's the story of these guys and their journeys, which are remarkably similar to Jackie Robinson, that have just not gotten a lot of attention. And I found, as a writer, I found it remarkable that we found this niche. Yeah. It's just unexplored. Big time. And, and, yep. John, part of the reason is it, part of the reason it's unexplored is when you go back to George Preston Marshall, and, and we go back to the to the 40s and 30s and we come forward. You know, last year, George Preston Marshall's monument was removed at RFK Stadium. It's a huge development and yeah. huge for, for that team. You know, he's in the Hall of Fame. They can't remove him from the Hall of Fame, but he was at the center of a ban on black players from 1934 to 1945. Zero black players in the NFL at that time. Zero. So Washington and Strode were the first in the NFL, and then uh, Motley and Willis in 1946, year after the war ends. A lot of you know push among the African-American press to have a greater opportunity for black players in sports. They fought in the war. They helped beat Nazism and, and uh, the Japanese empire. Why couldn't they get that, that kind of opportunity? So 
these guys are the first four uh, from that time. And Willis and Motley, and in fact, they're going to be honored this weekend yeah. in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, the Rams are going to pay tribute to Washington and Strode. And in Cleveland, uh, the Browns are going to pay tribute to, to, to Motley and Willis and kind of let fans know, hey, these were the first. And uh, their, their journeys are remarkable. They're really important people in the history of sports. And Keyshawn and I are really, you know, proud to kind of shine a light on them. And hopefully it'll uh, just, just get more attention on it. And, and again, we do bring it forward to, to, to today, you know, including that removal of, of George Preston Marshall's statue and the, the tainted legacy that he, he left behind. He, yeah. John, I'm sure you know, and people in Washington know how bad of a, of a guy, an avowed segregationist. Um, and I, I found it amazing that, you know, when, when the Cow- Jerry Jones said something a couple of weeks ago before the Cowboys uh, went to Washington, he says, you know, We've always had a good following in Washington yeah. and a light came on there because in the research of this book, yep. many black American, uh, black African-American fans in Washington hated George Preston Marshall's team because he refused to integrate. He didn't right. integrate until 1962 right. under pressure from the JFK administration. Right. So there's a historical reason in addition to the Cowboys being a popular team that Still, a lot of African Americans like the Cowboys because they used black players Correct. back in the day when when George Preston Marshall refused to do so. Absolutely, and then that ties into Jason Wright and his middle name, which you wrote about. Yeah, you know Jason Wright's middle name is Gomillion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any. I don't think a lot of people know about it. And he he talked to us about it. Gomillion is the name of an attorney who um, worked a famous case. Uh, in the South, which was about um, redistricting. And um, he, he basically pushed to have a redistricting plan overturned. That was basically, um, it, was a, it was a redlining thing for voting to keep black uh, voters away from, from a district that included a lot of white people. So, um, and Jason Wright is very proud of that name. And it resonates with him. Um, he has a, a mentor um, in, in the United Negro College Fund uh, who, who refers to him as Gomillion. He doesn't call him Jason. He says, hey, Gomillion. Hmm. And so it was a part of the history that I didn't know and that Jason, I don't know that he was kind of ready for that kind of questioning because hmm. I, I haven't seen much about his middle name and the significance of it. And he is the first African-American president of an NFL team. Look, he's had his missteps. I mean, I, I realize there's been some controversy, but you know, I don't think you can deny the historical reality that that man is important um, in terms of the history of pro sports, the history of the Washington franchise, and and this this uh, this topic that we get into. And that's why you know this you can't just look at those first four players in a vacuum. What happened when they started? What has it led to? They were right. pioneers in the integration of the NFL, which is now approximately 70% African-American. Fascinating story. Keyshawn and I are proud to tell it. Absolutely. And I think there's there's obviously some irony that George Preston Marshall's franchise has the first African-American team president. Yeah, that's part of the whole thing. And now there were other teams, John, during that time. There are four franchises remaining from that time. Giants, Steelers, 
uh, Cardinals and the Bears. The ownership groups are from those families. Well, they happen to be the most progressive families, ownership groups in the NFL today. They're all on the NFL's diversity committee, and they are all part of, you know, the answer, the solution moving forward. And it's not an accident because they are, they know the legacies of what, what happened before. Um, Art Rooney is a great sportsman, regarded as a great sportsman, but um, his son, Jim, his grandson, Jim said it, it's the biggest embarrassment of the family, the biggest stain on the, on the family's legacy. And they're not proud of it. Um, Art Rooney didn't, he didn't, you know, pound the table. We cannot have black players, but he went along with it. And, and George Preston Marshall was by far the most vocal. He had no problem in saying, yeah, we'll, he, he said, we'll sign a black player when the Harlem Globetrotters sign a white player. Right. Completely disingenuous comparison there. And his, you know, his general manager uh, was um, Dick McCann, right. who ended up running the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he was the general manager for 15 years. And, you know, the Pro Football Writers have an award each year to, to honor a writer. And it was named after Dick McCann. So we see this information there. I'm like, holy cow. That, that legacy is not good. And, and, and the name was changed to the Bill Nunn Jr. Uh, award. And, and Nunn was, of course, a scout with, the, with Pittsburgh and a guy who uh, so, scouted players at historically black colleges and universities. And um, so, so that's where that story still resonates today. From back then, you get something that happened last year that, that, that really resonates. So they're, they're, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. And listen, I would recommend people picking it up. And where, where can they get a copy now? And where can they follow your work? Well, I'm at Newsday.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Bob Glauber. And then the Forgotten First, you can get anywhere you get a book, yeah. Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, Barnes & Noble, whatever. And independent bookstores, indie books, baby. There you go. There you go. Bob, I kept you a lot longer than I told you I would because it's always great to talk to you. And I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Always a pleasure, John. Uh, good luck on Sunday. <laughs> see you then. All right, we'll see you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Bob for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. These podcasts will not end when the season does, so continue to tune in as I provide analysis on the position groups, interviews with experts as we look to the draft, and much, much more throughout the entire offseason. I'll be back with another episode after Sunday's game. Talk to you next time.